think I, I didn't panic at all because I, it wasn't like I was 20 miles from the car. It was more so of like, ah, oh, that really sucks. Like now I have to run <laughs> a few miles to get back, you know, back to the car. Um, and it was definitely, for sure, there was exhaustion. I mean, at, at that point it was pushing, I finished in 18 hours. Um, so I think when I got back to the top of the South Rim, it was over 17 hours. So no time to cry. You just had to keep going to the car. <laughs> You're listening to the Sasquatch Trail Runners Podcast, where every run is a trail party. I'm your host, Kim Levinsky, and today's episode is the recording from our Facebook Live interview series on Sunday, June 6, 2021. The tables were turned, and I was the one in the hot seat being interviewed by the amazing Kaylin Hopkins. We chat about my experience running a solo rim-to-rim-to-rim traverse at the Grand Canyon, as well as all things Sasquatch, and even some fun questions about my training for the Tahoe 200 in September. So sit back and relax, or go out and hit the trails, and enjoy the show. Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Flat Coke. What's not to love about a big glass of Flat Coke? Perfectly flat and free of carbonation, a big glass of Flat Coke at mile 42 is exactly what you need to keep powering through your Ultra. Now you can score a six-pack of Flat Coke at half price by using the code SASQUAD. Simply visit flatcoke.com and enter the code SASQUAD, S-A-S-S-Q-U-A-D, to get yours today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sasquatch Trail Runners Run Venture Facebook Live series. My name is Kim Levinsky, and I am the owner and race director for Sasquatch Trail Runners in New Jersey. Tonight, the tables have turned, and I am going to be in the hot seat interviewed by my good friend, Kaylin. You can see her to the left of me. Um, before we jump into the interview, let me share a few updates on what's going on in the wonderful world of Sasquatch trail running. Catch you all up. So our next trail party is on June 27th. It's coming in hot. We're going down to the Burlington County Fairgrounds for the midnight. And we now have over 100 people signed up for that race, which is so exciting. Last year, we had about 60 or so finishers for the race. So to already be crossed that, um, that participant number is very, very exciting. We can't wait to get out there with you. You can sign up for that on ultrasignup.com. We've got 12 hours, 6 hours, 3 hours, or 5K. That course is pancake flat. There's like less than 100 feet of gain in the two and a half mile loops. I think it's it's even less. It's like 50 or 60. It's flat. It's grass. It's a cross-country course. So you can really rack up some great miles and get in some night running, some practice for that. If you've never done it before, this is a really great opportunity to try that. Um, after that race, we're headed to the South Mountain Reservation in Milburn, New Jersey for our annual Fat Sass Switchback Challenge. Now, this is the total opposite of the midnight race. This course is one mile long. It's 300 feet up and then 300 feet down. So you wanna to try to do that as many times as you can in six hours, three hours, or you can just do three loops to get a 5K. Um, then, this is so exciting, we announced this a week or two ago, we're going up to New York for our very first race in New York. We're going to Harriman State Park in Tuxedo. That is on Saturday, July 31st. We're having a trail half marathon and a seven miler. Now this race, I'm telling you, um, I'll be up front with you, it's gonna sell out. So if you haven't signed up for that, please get on and sign up. We are limited to 150 runners. We are more than halfway full already. 
and they are not allowing race day signups for that. So sign up online, ultrasignup.com. We are supporting our great friends, the New York, New Jersey Trail Conference and are raising funds for their current project, which is to rebuild the historic Ramapo Dunderberg Trail, which we are using for that race. Um, okay, for the interviews, we've got a few coming up that are awesome. So June 16th, we're gonna be sitting down with Stephanie Langner, who will be sharing about her upcoming through hike of the Pacific Crest Trail. So you don't wanna miss that, that's on June 16th. June 30th, we're sitting down with the fabulous Rebecca Fitzgerald. She is the superintendent at High Point State Park, which is in Northwest New Jersey. And she is a very dear friend to Sasquatch. She's gonna have so many great stories. You don't wanna miss that interview. And then lastly, what we have uh, lined up for the summer so far, we're gonna get more, but right now through July 14th, we are going to interview sports dietitian, Dina Griffin, AKA the nutrition mechanic. So, Definitely don't want to miss that. Bring all of your nutrition hydration questions for a really fun evening. You can learn more about the rest of our events for 2021 on our website, which is sasquadtrailrunning.com. So, whew, okay, Kaylin, I'm done. I'm going to let you take the reins and Yay. Um, you're in charge from this point out. Um, I will say right. that everybody watching, if you're on the live chat, you can drop your questions throughout the evening and I will relay them to Kaylin. She's just gonna, she's gonna focus on the interview and I can uh, check into the chat every now and then. So, okay, Kaylin, all you. All right, I am so excited. Number one, rim to rim to rim. Number two, Tahoe 200, <laughs> 200 miles. And number three, Let's get into a little bit about who Kim Levinsky is as a person. I get asked this often. I mean, I've gotten to know you actually since the first time um, that I was on your show podcast. Yes. <laughs> and um, so this is really exciting. And the other really cool thing about this is a few days ago, or maybe even a week ago, um, Sasquad put out their questions that anyone could ask you. So I'll be shouting out people that put their questions in here so you can answer them directly. You probably know them and their personalities and what kind of answers they're really looking for. Um, but it's really cool. And we'll try to make this as interactive as possible with uh, the audience. So awesome. with that said, are you excited? I am so Excited. I'm so excited. And I forgot to mention before you alluded to it. So Kaylin was one of our first guests last year and she was talking about her rim to rim to rim adventure in the yeah. Grand Canyon. And so I thought it was only fitting to invite her on to ask the questions uh, to me. So I'm so excited to chat with you about We've talked a lot about rim to rim to rim, but it'll be fun to share it now with yeah. uh, everybody else. So take it away, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it's so interesting to uh, tell someone about it and then hear their experience back and see like what worked and what didn't. And so I'm really excited. So let's first start off with simply, when did you go to Arizona? Yes. Okay. So this was um, about a month or two ago in April. And I did the rim to rim to rim. It was on April 14th. Um, the original reason going out there, it was a father daughter trip to visit some family members who live in Las Vegas. So I love that. We went, yes, we went out there and I told my family, I said, I'm coming, but the number one 
thing on my list is rim to rim to rim. If I'm out there, I, I want to do that. So I plan to do that right in the beginning of the week. And then the rest of the time I was with my family in Las Vegas. All right, cool. So April, can you tell us a little bit about what the weather was like? And did that play into the time when um, you were kind of deciding this is when I'm going to go? Yeah, def definitely the weather played into it. I know, you know, I joined the, there's a few different Facebook groups for rim to rim to rim. And I was seeing a lot that April was a good time to go because it's, it's before the really, really, really hot temperatures. Um, but you still, um, you're going to have some heat down in, in the Canyon. So, um, and then timing wise, it just worked out, you know, with, with my own schedule to get out to April, but for sure, the, uh, the weather definitely played a part in it. Okay, great. Um, do you remember what the weather was like when you went? Yeah, so when I got to the South Rim the night before, it was cool. It was probably like low 50s. And then when I woke up, it was like 36 degrees. It got really chilly overnight. Yeah. Um, so then uh, as but the further the lower down you get into the canyon, the hotter it gets. So I think the temperatures probably topped out at the bottom at like if I, it was mid mid to high 80s, I think it was very, very warm, which was definitely a shock to me because, you know, we're coming we were coming out of winter. So that was really the first warm weather day of running that I that I'd had in a long time. Yeah. Um, and I think, so we have, uh, we've actually talked in the past about some of your running experiences and heat is kind of a challenge for you. Yeah. I don't Can love, you tell us a little yeah, bit about that? No, I don't love the heat. I don't love it. Once it, once it gets over 85 or so close to 90, like this weekend, for example, yeah. <laughs> um, it's just, it's super hot. I mean, thankfully there, they truly do have it's a dry heat, you know, you don't have the humidity that we have here. Um, but yeah, I mean, my favorite temperature to run in is probably like low, low sixties, like 65 or something. So when it was pushing 90 down in the box, totally exposed, it was, it was very toasty. <laughs> Yikes. Can you tell me a little bit about why, like what inspired rim to rim to rim was this like a bucket list item or was this just something like okay this is good training or what was the whole thought process behind it definitely bucket list item it's been on my bucket list for at least 10 years since I started running and first learned about ultra running I remember watching some YouTube videos years and years ago about it and was just totally inspired that you could run the length of the grand you know out from south rim to north and back um, in one outing and then of course your run venture was totally inspirational in me to have a personal connection to it and then I also have another friend who I just met last year through trail running her name is Lena Peterson and she had just done rim to rim to rim like two weeks before I went out so that was oh. super helpful as well to like get on the phone with her she had just been there you know, hearing about trail conditions and what, you know, water spots were open and not and whatnot. But um, yeah, for sure. It was, it was major bucket list uh, checking off with this run venture. Awesome. And so, okay. So it's, was it just high on your bucket list? Like 
what was your why for doing it just because it was hot like why now versus okay I want to go to another state or uh, I you know how did you prioritize this trip because there's a million places you can run that's amazing whether it's U.S. or overseas why now yeah yeah that's a good question too I think it was a combination of uh, wanting to get out to do the trip with my dad to Las Vegas. Uh, we haven't seen those family members in, I think, I think my cousin said it was like 19 years since we'd seen them. They used to live in New Jersey and then they moved out to Vegas and uh, we just haven't seen each other. So we had reconnected through the pandemic, just getting back in touch. And for months they had been asking, you know, you got to come to Vegas, you got to come to Vegas. And, you know, I started putting the piece together. Well, Vegas is not that far from the Grand Canyon. And this would be <laughs> an awesome opportunity to do something I wanted to do for a long time. Um, and then with um, training for Tahoe 200, I thought, man, this would be such a great experience, you know, to do it self-supported and alone, um, you know, great vert, great training. Uh, so it was just a lot of different things came together. And it just, it was like, it was just, great timing, I think. Awesome. Can you tell me a little bit about the route that you decided to take and why you took that route? Yeah. So a lot of that was from uh, talking with my friend, Lena, who had just been out there a couple of weeks ago. And she was telling me that one of the bridges, the Silver Bridge, was closed during the week from, I think it was like 9 to 5 p.m. And so we were making plans on, you know, I was asking her advice and all that. And so I finally settled on, okay, I'll start by coming down the South Kaibab Trail, crossing over the Silver Bridge in, in the early morning, and then going up to North Rim, coming back. And in my mind, I thought, like, surely I'll be back by five o'clock, and I won't be able to go back over that bridge. <laughs> That's not what happened. Um, but and by that point, I was like, well, I'll just stick with the original plan and go up um, the other side to finish. So I was able to get both, both trails in but um yeah I mean it worked out right it worked out I'm sorry bright, I, I misspoke I went down bright angel and then up south kaibab trail so the bright angel one that's that's where that silver bridge is at on the other side uh and how many miles did that come out to well <laughs> it should have been it should have been in the mid 40s I think I'm not sure what the final it's, it's probably different depending on, you know, your GPS and all that. Um, but what I did was, so I parked basically in the middle of the two trailheads on the South Rim. So in my mind, the original plan was, okay, I'll park in the middle, I'll run to Bright Angel, go down, out and back, I'll come up South Kaibab, and then there's shuttles running, right? So there was going to be a shuttle <laughs> that was supposed to take me from the uh, South Kaibab Trail back to my car in Grand Canyon Village. That's not what happened. I missed the shuttle by about an hour. So I had to get back <laughs> to my car, obviously. Um, so it ended up being a complete loop, which was close to 53, 54 miles or so. Um, Kaylin, I am seeing um, I am seeing a question in here that's that's coming. It's like perfect timing from Anthony Longano. And sure. he said, uh, you're, I saw in the video that your plans got messed up. And you missed the time for the shuttle back to the car. How did you not totally panic? You seem chill in your wonderful video, or was that just exhaustion with a winky face? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, I don't think I, I didn't panic at all because I, 
it wasn't like I was 20 miles from the car. It was more so of like, ah, oh, that really sucks. Like now I have to run <laughs> a few miles to get back, you know, back to the car. Um, and it was definitely, for sure, there was exhaustion. I mean, at, at that point it was pushing, I finished in 18 hours. Um, so I think when I got back to the top of the South Rim, it was over 17 hours. Um, so no time to cry. You just had to keep going to the car. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I really think that's uh, kind of a testament to who you are kind of as an endurance athlete, right? So what's a few extra miles? Bonus miles, right? Exactly. <laughs> All righty. Can we talk a little bit about your planning process? How did you, I need, I know that we had spoken and you spoke to your other friend that had done it two weeks ago, but there's definitely components that you had to do on your own. And plus you also had gone out to, um, to Las Vegas, I believe with your dad. Uh -huh. Tell us a little bit about all of that. And then some of your sleeping accommodations. <laughs> Yes, that your so, glamping accommodation. Yeah, the glamping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, okay, so there are definitely a lot of logistics involved because I was coming from Las Vegas and doing it by myself. Um, so again, a lot of this was just, it was reading different people's experiences through Facebook or a lot of, uh, so many runners and hikers have really awesome blogs online. Um, so that was really helpful to read through what people did, you know, talk to you, obviously talk to my friend, Lena. And so I think, you know, the logistics of, well, I had to get from Las Vegas to Grand, to South Rim. Um, so I ended up renting a car. Actually, I'm, I'm throwing this out there for all you guys who travel. I use the app called Turo, T-U-R-O. My cousin in Las Vegas told me about it. And it's actually, so you're renting a car directly from people instead of through like enterprise or budget or whatever and it it was like way cheaper than getting something at the airport um and it was super convenient because you paid like an extra 20 bucks and they brought the car to my cousin's house and they did like pick wow. up drop off so anyway side note on that so i rented the car through the app turo drove out to the grand canyon it was about a four hour drive or so and I had camping reservations at the South Rim, right there at the Mather, I'm not sure if you pronounce Mather or Mather campgrounds. Um, so I got there and car camped. It was really cold out, so I was planning, you know, to sleep in the car anyway. Um, and then, you know, did I started the run? It was, I think it was 4 a.m. when I started. I got up at three, started at 4 a.m. And then 18 hours later, finished it. Um, and then you're alluding to the glamping, right? So I, I wanted to stay at the South Rim again, uh, but they didn't have availability for another night of at the campground. So I went online and the hotels were like crazy expensive all around the South Rim. And I went on the website hipcamp.com and this glamping accommodations popped up and I like heard of glamping but I've never done it before and there was this picture of like this big cloth uh like canvas teepee and inside <laughs> is like a big carpet and like this king size bed and it was only a half an hour from the south rim and I thought hmm that actually might be really nice to 
sleep in a bed, you know, instead of the car. And um, so that's what I ended up doing. I took a chance on it and it actually was, it was very fun. It was freezing cold. It was even colder that night. I think it got down to the low thirties, but they provided like, it was like four blankets. And then I had brought my, um, my quilt, my down quilt for camping. And I was fine. Like I, I wasn't cold at all, but um, it was a fun first glamping experience. <laughs> That's super cool. So, so I'm actually going to kind of tease out some of these details with you. So let's say I want to go out there, whether it's just rim to rim or the whole shebang back and forth. Um, Tell me, how did you decide, like, what clothes did you decide to take? Because you don't want to overpack, right? But you don't want to underpack. So tell me a little bit about how you decided uh, what you took as far as clothes and also tell me what worked and what didn't. Uh, these are really good questions. Again, a lot of it was reading what other people did, talking to other people and looking at the temperatures. But with, with the Grand Canyon, you really have to look at what the temperatures is going to be in three different spots, right? So on the South Rim where you start, then you have to look at what's going to be the temperature at the bottom, which they call the box, which is where you're running across. And then you want to look too, like what's the temperature at the North Rim? Because the North Rim and the South Rim are really, really different. Um, everything, the climate, the terrain, everything looks very different um, on either ends. So when I was looking at the weather, you know, I knew it was going to be cold to start, um, but then it was going to be blazing hot basically like after the sun came up until the sun went down and then it was going to get cold again um so i i love running in shorts so i was really hoping that i, that I could and, and would so i ended up wearing shorts um you know t-shirt and then i had a zip-up jacket with a hood and i also brought a lightweight beanie and i think i skipped out i think i had packed the gloves but i didn't end up using them, you know, just having them uh, just in case. So that's, that's what I ended up doing for the weather. And it, it was perfect. It worked out really well, you know, temperature wise with the clothing that I had. Awesome. Let's tease out now a little bit more on how you decided with your nutrition. I know for me, when I had done it, I just focused on calories. Um, and I don't know if that was the best or not. Please share with us like, what do you think worked and didn't work and how you kind of did your whole thought process of what you're going to pack? Awesome. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll hit another question that's in the chat from Rohini wants to know about hydration. Uh, what was the plan Perfect. for water, which is a really good question for the Grand Canyon. Yeah. Um, so for nutrition calories, this was definitely like the longest self-supported thing I had ever done. Um, and, you know, a lot of it was chatting with you, trying to figure out, okay, like how many calories per hour should I shoot for? What can I, also, there's a challenge of like, what can you pack in your bag that's going to be fine, you know, for all day and then some. Mine was literally yeah. almost the entire day. Um, so I ended up packing all of the food for the most, almost 90% of the food I brought from New Jersey. I packed it all in my pack. Um, I brought the, I used some tailwind in my bag for calories and I brought some extra to add in there. Um, use like trail mix, um, spring energy gels, Lara bars, um, pro, pro bars, like the meal bars. 
And then when on my way to the Grand Canyon, I stopped at, it was like a subway or something. And I got a sub and I had half of it for dinner awesome. and then I packed half of it for the rest. That half was gone by like 10 in the morning. I wish I had brought like five sandwiches with me. <laughs> but I, mean, I, I had the same problem. Right? Right. Yeah. So in hindsight or going forward, what would you recommend to people? Uh, if even if they're just doing one, one or both, like, I haven't put my finger on it exactly, but what would you recommend? Yeah. In terms of food, you mean like with nutrition? Yeah. Like figuring it out because I fell short. It sounds like you pizza log. I know we got to talk about the pizza log. (laughs) Yeah. But um, it sounds like you maybe could have benefited from a little extra. I think so. so. What do you think? Do you, did you go by calories? Did you just kind of think of, okay, I'm going to be out there breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I need this much food? Or what was that whole thought process as far as like quantity? Right. I think um, I, my calorie estimations per hour were pretty good. Like I, with the self-supported stuff, I try to do 250 calories per hour is what I pack. I usually don't get that much, but I want to err on the side of like packing more. Um, which that would have worked great if I had finished, you know, in less time than I thought, like, you know, less, less anticipated time, but that's the way it goes sometimes. Um, and then just the timing wise, when I came through Phantom Ranch on my way back, I had missed that window of where they were selling the lemon, your, your famous lemonade. I know I didn't get to, I didn't get to, uh, buy it. Um, but I'll tell this story now about the pizza log. This is absolutely <laughs> so. Like I just said, I was coming through Phantom Ranch, and I was talking with a maintenance worker there, and he's like, "Oh, you just missed the store; it was closed. How are you doing?" We were talking, and and he's like, "I can't believe you're out here by yourself. Like, I'm gonna whatever you need, you tell me. What do you need?" And I said, "You know, I would love if you've got." some food that's not like uh, Larabar <laughs> or, a, or a running gel or, or something. He's like, absolutely. Come on, come on over. We're, we'll hook you up. So he brought me over to his, uh, it was like a cabin or office or whatnot. And he brought out this bag of biscuits. It was just a bag of biscuits. He's like, come on, you can take, take the bag of biscuits. I was like, oh, this is great. And then his friend next to him was like, don't give her those biscuits like put those biscuits away we're gonna give her something much better and he pulls out this um tinfoil wrapped package and I was like oh what's this and I opened it up and it's a pizza log (laughs) (laughs) if you don't know what that is it's basically like french bread pizza and Kaylin was telling us all about her pizza logs uh when she was last on the interview and it just it was so funny, like just the irony of it all that I got a pizza log at the Grand Canyon. <laughs> I was there with you in spirit. <laughs> you were there. You were there. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. I want to ask you, okay, back to this whole planning stage. Cause I, I think like that's really what makes or breaks a really fantastic trip because right. Like we know the Grand Canyon is mind-blowing right and we want to experience it but really I want to dig just a little bit deeper and let's talk a little bit about 
what gear you decided to take as far as like um, what size bladder, night lights, uh, what size bag, did you use trekking poles, sneakers versus hiking shoes, uh, gaiters versus not, a little bit more about that. Ooh, good, good stuff right here. Um, okay, so gear, gear wise, um, I brought my regular, well, my, my newer bag, I got it a couple months ago. It's a, it has 14 liter capacity for gear and storage. Mm -hmm. And then in the back, you can put a two liter hydration bladder, uh, which I, I started with completely full. And then I also brought the uh, Bee Free Katahdin water filter to have um, with me. And I'm sorry, Rahini, I didn't answer your question before. I can answer it now about the hydration. Um, so I started with the two liters full of water and then pretty much, you know, I was just keeping an eye on that. I knew which, which water stops were turned on and turned off. And so I just made sure like I was checking my bladder in the pack to make sure that I had enough water. And when I was running low, I filled it up at the opportunity, but I was really surprised. Like it, the, most of the water sources were on. I think there were only a couple that were off. And then there were so many access points to the Colorado river where I could easily filter water if I needed to. I never got to that point. I never ran out of water. Um, but it was just nice knowing that I was never far from the river to filter the bottle. Um, but yeah, other gear definitely brought my trekking poles. Um, they came in very handy. I think I, I definitely use them for the way I use them for the way down. Um, I put them away going across the box till I was probably only a quarter of a way from the uh, North Rim. And then I pulled them out for the big climb up the North Rim. And um, then obviously use them again to get out the South Rim. Um, what else? What else? What other, what other, you asked a few Sneakers. other. Okay, so shoes and gaiters. Oh, yes. Yeah, for sure gators, for sure gators. I was told that it was like definitely wear gators to keep out the sand, which I'm so glad I did. Uh, they really did a good job. There were a couple sections, uh, like right before you cross the Silver Bridge coming off of Bright Angel Trail, it just turned into like a beach. It was so sandy. And I remember thinking like, oh man, I'm so glad I have the gators. Um, I did clean off my shoes when I had come off of the North Rim right before crossing back over the box. Uh, but the Gators did a really good job of keeping everything out. And then uh, sneakers, I ended up wearing my Hoka Challengers, which is more of like a crossover shoe for trail and road. Um, because people, you know, this was my first experience doing, We, I guess we can call them West Coast trails. And um, they are not technical. There are like no rocks and roots compared to our East Coast trails here. Um, so I, I feel like you could kind of get away with if you really wanted to wear road shoes like um, the Hoka Clifton's. Um, I think probably the crossover was, was a good choice. I was happy with it and my feet were happy. Um, but yeah, they are, those trails are not technical. They're steep. They're for sure steep, but, um, yeah. nothing compared to what we've got here in, uh, New Jersey tri-state area. Yeah. Um, let me ask you socks. Did you wear wool socks or uh, cotton? Yeah, I wore, I wore, uh, smart wool socks. Okay. Those worked out. Right, awesome. Those worked out well because my feet got wet a couple of times and they, 
they dried super quick. No, no issues with blisters or anything. Great, great. So let me ask you, this is, you went coming off of the pandemic where everything was kind of shut down, but I guess people were starting to come out. Um, I know that when I had went, it was August or September and there were tons of people. I was just blown away and, um, I just thought it was fantastic. Can you tell me a little bit about what it was like, first of all, as a person going out there by yourself, um, I'll even leave gender out of it. Just the fact that you're going across the U S to a state that's relatively unknown, um, to you at least. And um, tell me what it was like as far as, did you feel the trails were pretty well marked and um, safety wise, did you feel like it was a pretty safe place to go? How many people did you encounter and what that experience was like? Yeah, definitely. The trails were, I felt very safe. For sure, I felt very safe. I remember telling one of my friends here that I felt more safe running at night by myself in the Grand Canyon than by myself at night at the South Mountain Reservation. I don't know what it is, I guess because it's a national park and you know, at least, you know, we're assuming people are there, they're tourists, they're there to enjoy nature. Whereas like South Mountain is just a couple blocks from, you know, a bunch of suburbs and cities and a train station and stuff. So you sometimes get some interesting characters, you know, in the woods at <laughs> night, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Um, but no, I, 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 there was never a point where I felt unsafe when I was there um, by myself, um, the trails were, there's not like trail blazes that we have here, like, you know, the paint, painted marks on the trees and uh, everything, but there's really only a couple of trails. There's not, I'm, I think it'd be hard to get lost, um, but like I knew the route that I was gonna go, I was gonna go, you know, Bright Angel, across North Rim, back, and then up, and, and there's, there's big signposts at, wherever there's a trail split. So it'll tell you, you know, South Kaibab Trail this way, Bright Angel Trail that way. Um, so it was very easy to navigate. And then I had also downloaded on the Avenza app, the map for the Grand Canyon that's put out by, I believe it's National Geographic or the National, no, it was National Park Service. They put out a map there. And um, if you don't know, Avenza is an app that you can use where you can download a map and it shows your GPS position in real time, but you don't have to have cell service, which there was barely any cell service at the Grand Canyon. Um, so I use that and it was just fun to see, you know, as you're making your way along, like where you're at, how much further you have, what different things are called. So I found that to be super helpful. Were there a lot of people on the trails? You know, there weren't as many as I thought, but I, I also went on a weekday. It was a Thursday. I think if I had been there on the weekend, it probably would have been a lot more crowded. Um, I saw when I was starting coming down the Bright Angel Trail, I saw uh, probably four or five people who were finishing. So they were making their way up. So that was four in the morning. And I what did they look like? Uh, like the Walking Dead. They were zombies. <laughs> It was funny because I felt like I was really peering into my future of like, this is going to be me. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, other than that, though, I saw a couple of people on the trail, but I went hours, like three to six hours at a time with not seeing anybody, um, which is 
which was fine. I mean, I wasn't bothered by it. I was just, I was surprised. I thought I was going to see more, but I guess maybe being a weekday, it, it's not as busy as what it would be on the weekend, you know? Nice. So did you have that zombie uh, effect towards the end? I mean, were you just dying or because I saw the video, and by the way, um, if people haven't seen your video, it's so well done. Um, it, it truly shows your personality. I mean, you're always happy and taking the best out of every situation. So um, how can people find that video? But also, Tell me what was the end like? And and don't just give me the fluffy, I'm smiley Kim. Tell us really like what what would someone like me be in for? <laughs> yeah, so you can find the video on YouTube. Just search for Kim Levinsky and it'll pop up um, rim to rim to rim. Um what was it truly like? You know, I I can genuinely say that I was enjoying myself the entire time. Um, I was obviously really tired, like the South, the climb out of the Grand Canyon, like finishing and then, you know, realizing, oh, I'm going to have to pull this headlamp out again. And then realizing like, oh, I'm not going to make the shuttle. Like, oh, I'm going to have to run back to the car. <laughs> like those moments were, um, you know, it was kind of, it was like almost, you know, when things are like bad, it's comical. You know, I felt like I was yeah. able to laugh about it where, I mean, there's nothing you can do. What are you going to do? Like call an Uber to come get you? From the I'm sure some people wish. <laughs> so it was fun. And I think also too, like having the GoPro making the video, it was, it, it passed the time as well. Like it was, it was, um, it was just fun. I, I really, really had a, a very fun time. Um, another part of it was I, I have a, a Garmin inReach, which is a satellite tracker, which I use for safety and you can send text messages out on it. So my very good friend, Mama Beck, Rebecca Constant, Aww. she was on the other end of that. And I was sending her updates. She's usually my safety buddy where if I'm going out somewhere alone, um, I'm letting her know, like, this is what time I think I'll be done. This is where I'm going to be, yada, yada. Um, so, you know, she's checking in on me and I'm telling her, oh, I think it's going to be a little later than I thought. And, and also there's the time change too. So we were, I'm three hours, I was three hours behind her. So mm -hmm. when it was like, I finished at 11 PM and it was, you know, 12, one, it was two in the morning here in, in New York. Uh, but she was, she was such a great friend keeping track of, keeping track of me, but yeah, I would say genuinely, I did really enjoy it. Um, there were moments where I was like, this is horrible. <laughs> but then you just like, seriously, like I just looked around and I mean, you're at the Grand Canyon, you know, like, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to be, you know, have a bad attitude for more than a minute or two when you're. Yeah. Eating. And, you know, that's but, critical. Yeah. yeah, that's critical, like really having not just the right attitude, but realizing that whether you're running or hiking, anywhere you're traveling, you're always going to encounter these unknowns. And how are you going to manage them? And I think like really having that positive attitude makes a difference. Tell me a little bit about your training, what did and didn't work. So training to prepare for the Grand Canyon? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think, um, you know, like I mentioned before this, 
is like everything I'm doing this year is like the end goal is Tahoe 200. Um, so in a way, this was a part of training. I mean, it was, it was part of training for Tahoe. Um, but leading up to the Grand Canyon, I was just, you know, trying to do a lot of vert. It's definitely, you know, now having been there, I would say it's really hard to replicate the length and the steepness of the climbs, both at the North Rim and the South Rim. So I think that's, that's really, I think that's really hard to find here in New Jersey, New York. Um, probably the closest thing I would say would be Mount Tammany with the, the length of that climb and the steepness. But then again, you have a trade-off of like Tammany is, is very, very technical. I mean, there's boulders and rocks everywhere and that's, that's not what the Grand Canyon is like at all. Um, but yeah, just trying to do a bunch of, you know, repeats at Mount Tammany or, uh, the ski slope in Vernon doing that. Um, but yeah, I would say overall, it's kind of, it's tough to replicate that here on the East coast, other than just doing repeats of smaller climbs. Um, you're not going to find like a, well, I, I think what the climb is like 5,000 feet, um, you know, in one shot over, you know, six to eight miles, depending on which trail you're at. Um, let me hit one question. Bailey Lewis asked a few minutes ago about the total, the total elevation gain was a uh, 12,200 gain and loss because it was a complete loop. So I got some bonus <laughs> elevation as well. I think it's <laughs> That's right. like 10,000 or something, but. Um, awesome. Yeah. So let me actually, let's, let's start getting some of, um, the public's input and questions. So okay. one of our run venture buddies, um, Jessica Simao. All right. So she yeah. wants to know how much money would you have paid to not cross the bridge? <laughs> yeah. So if you watch the YouTube video, there's a very dramatic moment of me crossing the bridge. I don't love crossing bridges. Um, I've learned that this, I guess it was last fall when I was doing the seven, the seven summits traverse where you cross over Bear Mountain Bridge in New York, you go out to do Anthony's nose and then you come back over. And I realized in that moment that I do not enjoy crossing bridges. <laughs> and um, the Grand Canyon, there's two, there's two large suspension bridges that go over the Colorado River. And then there's a, a handful of other small ones that are footbridges. But um, I mean, Maybe I was being dramatic in the video, but I really didn't like crossing over the bridge. You know, it's like swaying a little bit. You hear it creaking and you're literally, you're over the Colorado River, um, you know, suspended in the air. But um, dollar amount, man, I would have paid a lot of money. <laughs> Maybe somebody could have Ubered. <laughs> um, I'm, okay, so I'm reading from myself. Yeah. So um, Steph Schimack, yeah. hopefully I'm saying that right. Shimak, okay, so um, which part was the hardest part of the hike and how did you mentally and physically work through it? And also, um, did you have cell reception throughout the whole time? And do you wish you would have done anything differently? Okay, uh, cell reception, I left my phone on airplane mode the entire time. I, I, I've heard that there's some cell reception, I think, at the North Rim. Um, but I didn't plan on, you know, calling anyone or Instagram or whatever. So I just left it on airplane mode. I wanted to save the battery. Um, the hardest part, I think there were two challenging parts climbing 
out of the north, uh, climbing up the north rim. So basically getting to the halfway point. It was so hot. Like it was so hot. And I think I was also experiencing, like I was feeling the elevation because the north rim, I think tops out at like 8,000 feet or so when you're, you're all the way at the top. So that was, I was like, man, I guess this is what elevation feels like because my heart was just pounding. And obviously, I mean, I know it was a climb, so I was working hard, but my legs weren't like super, super fatigued at the level that I felt like my heart was just pounding. So several times I was just like, man, I need to just sit down and let my heart rate come down a little bit. Um, So probably three or four times climbing up to the North Rim, um, I just like sat down on a rock at the side of the trail (laughs) and um, just was like, you know, waiting to cool off a little bit. So I think that was challenging. And then at the end, for sure, like the, so the, the uh, South Kaibab trail is shorter, but that also means it's packing in more elevation in the shorter amount of miles, which means it's a lot steeper. Um, so in my mind, I was like, oh, it's shorter. So I want to finish with that. Um, hindsight maybe should have flip-flopped um, because it was very, very steep. And um, I think that was a challenge. It just felt unending because you're, you know, at least for me, I was moving a lot slower because it was so steep and I'd been out there all day. So that was, I think, a challenge. Like I kept pulling out the map. I'm like, surely I have to be getting closer to the top. <laughs> and my the little beacon just moved like a quarter. Of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I remember um, in the video, you thought you were at a certain mileage point. But you were like five miles off. <laughs> oh, so, so off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, before we transition, I want to know, so what was your high, whether it was uh, multiple little areas, whether it was the scenery, whether it was something internal, something you discovered? I mean, in general, could you point to one or two things that you're like, whoa, Yeah, that's a great question. I think the next day I, so I had stayed in that glamping thing and then fancy. Yes. The fancy tent. Um, I knew I was like, okay, I want to drive back to the South Rim because I had never seen it in the daylight. Cause I got in there the night before in the dark, I started in the dark and I finished in the dark and John Swanson, who we both know, he had told me before the trip, he said, Kim, make sure you see the South Rim in the daylight. Whatever you do, make sure you go back. And so John's words are playing in my head uh, before I drove back. I was like, you know what? It's worth it. It's worth the extra half hour out and back to go. And so I think when I parked the car and walked like the eighth of a mile to get to the overlook, which was the best view. <laughs> it's so funny. It was like, less than a quarter mile from the parking lot. It's the literally the best view that I had the entire time. I mean, hands down, I won't try to tell you there's better views in the Grand Canyon. That view at the South Rim is so majestic and just breathtaking because you see the entire, you know, sweeping view of the Grand Canyon. So I think getting to that overlook and looking across and just being able to say like, wow, like yesterday, I traversed all the way out and came all the way back. So that was, that was a very cool moment. I think Um, that was definitely a high to, to, to have that. And then, I mean, it's just literally breathtaking standing there and um, getting to see those views, you know, 
Um, so that That's was, awesome. that was for sure. That was for sure a high. I'm really so happy that you got to experience that. Like seriously, every person should take that trip like for themselves and just you grow from it. Right. And it's all just experiences and you grow and you build as was rim to rim to rim for this monster that you're going to be tackling Tahoe 200. <laughs> and oh. so it's, it's really cool because I know of a couple of people that have done it, but I don't know that I ever want to do it. Who knows? But let's talk about like this whole anticipation and, and the transition. So rim to rim to rim was prep. And I'm just going to, uh, Craig Bernier or yeah, Bernier. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he asked, how fast will you ramp up tra- uh, your training load for Tahoe? And how much will you also focus on rest and recovery during your training cycle? What does that look like for Kim? Mm, these are good questions, Craig. Um, I will say to those of you who are in the live chat, there are some more questions about rendering room. We will get there. Oh, we'll- sorry. No, it's good. It's good. We'll, we'll hit them. So if you ask questions, don't worry, we'll get back to them. Um, okay. So training for Tahoe, um, it's definitely, I feel, I, I think the grand, the rim to rim to rim was kind of the kickoff of like, all right, let's really start to kick this into high gear. Um, and so now it's just, it's trying to get out, you know, I've like runs during the week, but on the weekends, just trying to do a lot of time on feet and getting as much vert uh, climbing experience as possible. Um, Recovery. I'm getting better at it. I will say that. I think I'm getting a lot better at it this past year. Um, I'm learning a lot. I'll give a, I have to give a shout out to Kim Fong, who I think is watching. Um, She did acupuncture on me first time. I've never had it done. I did that earlier this week. And uh, it was so great. Oh my gosh, she is a miracle worker. I felt like a million bucks afterwards. So you can reach out to her on social media or look up her practice. It's called Health in Motion over in Westfield, New Jersey. Um, But yeah, for sure, recovery has become really important, especially on the weekends. Like I'll take at least 30 to 45 minutes after each of the long, like I try to do the back-to-backs on the weekends. So doing that um, afterwards and really spending good time on recovery and nutrition um, because the goal is to stay healthy. Um, I kind of joke around it that I feel like this training is kind of like playing with fire a little bit. Like you really have, like, I feel like we're pushing the envelope, but you want to stay healthy, right? At the same time. So it's kind of, it's kind of a tightrope. And I mean, that's for any distance that you're running. I feel like, um, you know, it's relatable for anyone training. Uh, but definitely the goal is to stay healthy. So recovery is super important. One of the things that we've actually talked about a lot, and I think, I don't know what the status of the research is, but um, I, I think this is on a lot of people's minds when they start to look at expanding their horizon on distance and how long can you endure? So it's not just about your physicality, it's you want to minimize the time that you're sleeping. Ideally, if you want, if you have like a certain target, can you tell me what your thoughts are on that? If you've uh, played around with any um, sleep deprivation or 
where are you at with that part? Are you going to incorporate that in your training? These are such good questions that I'm working through right now with my crew. Um, yeah, I know. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to talk to as many people as I can about Tahoe who have done it. Uh, my very good friend, Matt Klein, he is doing the triple crown this year, which is Tahoe 200, Bigfoot 200 and Moab 240. Awesome. Maddie, Maddie Klein, he's the best. Um, so I'm talking to him a lot about Tahoe. Um, trying to listen to as many podcasts as I can about sleep, because I feel like that's probably besides the distance, obviously the sleep factor is, is a really big unknown. And, um, I'm just reading and, and listening to several different strategies. I was just talking with Trishul Churns. He was a guest on our podcast. Yeah. Uh, he is like the multi-day king of ultra running. And, you know, it was very, very helpful to talk to him and hear his thoughts on a sleep strategy for Tahoe. Um, so I don't know. I think it's it's probably going to be one of those things where you don't know until you know. <laughs> okay. You know? Um, but definitely Trishul is, has emphasized to me and Matt has as well that you don't need as much sleep as you think that you do. And so I think it'll be important for me to have that mindset going in to it, yeah. you know, and just, again, I, I think it's, you know, and, and as a crew, we've, my ladies have talked about how, like, that's probably the biggest thing we need to be flexible on is like, you're just going to find out when you need to sleep in, you know, when you get to that point. So um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it's going to look like yet. Um, we're still kind of working out those details. Yeah. Yeah. That that's really great. Thanks so much for sharing that. I know I've not so much struggled. I just wish, you know, how, when you go running, there's training plans and you kind of have an idea that to my knowledge, at least doesn't really exist just yet. And, and even though with running plans, they can be individualized to, whether you have a specific target or whether you have um, like a, 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 a certain time frame, and you know, do do you need more sleep or less sleep during certain? Whether you're a twenty year old, thirty year old, or fifty year old, you know, who knows? But um, one thing that I've struggled with, or I struggled with with my multi day event on the AT was hallucination. So I want to really talk about the mental part of it. And I'll just um, point out so this question comes from uh, Ramon or Ramon Bermo, he said, um, what hallucinations will you expect? And how soon into the race do you think they'll happen? Um, have you ever hallucinated? And uh, you know, th this is tricky, right with the sleep. So what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> Uh, well, Matt Klein said there will definitely be hallucinations, so I'll take his word for that. The only, like, semi kind of, I don't even think, I don't know, it was like borderline hallucinating. In the 100 I did in September, I was running with my friend Grace in the middle of the night, and I thought I saw this guy wearing a Superman cape further down the road, and I was like, what's that guy doing with the cape? What? And, and Grace is like, I don't think there's anybody there. I said, no, like he has the cape on. Like, don't you see it? It was, it was just the shadows of the trees. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't gotten to a point yet where there's been hallucinations. So 
I hope that they're friendly. I know you've had some like not friendly hallucinations. So I <laughs> like, like creepers or something like, you know, bad yeah. nightmares. <laughs> yeah. Who knows how they're going to manifest. And I'd love to hear from anyone. Like if there's like any really good strategies that anyone knows of. So like, you know, when you're running and if you get cranky, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to eat right? Mm-hmm. Fix that. I okay. wonder what it is for hallucinations. Um, and, you know, toughening up your brain, tell me a little bit about that. Um, I think like, and, and so this goes back to the rim to rim to rim, right? So you went out and you had that experience on your own. There's definitely a certain level of self-sufficiency that you want to develop. And I think that kind of sharpens the edges on your brain. Any suggestions or, or feedback you've gotten? Are you kind of working on that um, for your, because I mean, 200 miles is 200 miles and you want to keep your will strong. So what are your thoughts? That's such a great question. Well, I will say that you you and my friend Lena both said that the rim to rim to rim would be life-changing and a pivotal point to do it alone and self-supported. and a hundred percent you were told you both were spot on um it was for sure um like you said i think there's like you just discover this kind of level of self-sufficiency where you're like wow you know just went out there by myself for that amount of time brought everything that i needed like had to had to troubleshoot problems um you couldn't like phone a friend in the middle of it Uh, literally there's no cell service Um, so it's interesting because at first when I had finished and it took 18 hours, right. I thought, man, that took so long. And the, my, the first thought that went through my mind was Tahoe 200 is literally four of those. Like it, cause it came out to a little over 50 miles. It was about 12,000 feet of gain. Tahoe is, you know, 200 with 40,000 feet of gain or whatever. So that was the first thing I thought of. I was like, I had to do this four times and it was so hard to do it once. Um, But then, you know, time goes by and I started thinking, well, um, I did it all by myself, self-supported, and it took 18 hours to do a little over 50. For Tahoe, you don't get a pacer until the 100K mark. So I think it was important in my mind to kind of make that shift of like, instead of thinking like, oh, I can't, like, this is going to be so hard. Obviously, Tahoe is going to be really hard. Um, But shifting it to, like, okay, now I can look back on rim to rim to rim and have that confidence of, like, I can self-support for 18 hours. And Tahoe is going to, you know, obviously, there's going to be aid stations and be supported. There's going to be other people which should, you know, help with that. Um, But if anything, it's been, I think, a really big confidence, which which you said, you told me, you called it, Kaylin, you said it, and you were 100% right with that. Yeah, right. I mean, it it really comes down to that. I mean, I community is huge. And I know that Sasquatch is really built on that. Um, But I think that there's parts, first of all, having your crew, that's going to be dynamite. I mean, these are people, you know, I, I know that now there's like uh, companies and, and um, groups, uh, running groups who are actually like lending, not lending out pacers, but you know, there, there, there are 
companies actually that you can say, hey, need I need a pacer for this race and they'll provide that. So community and and having your rock star crew of people that you know, like your people, like that, that's huge. But then also having that self-supported experience. I think, you know, that goes back to sharpening your mind. Like you're, you're totally doing it. it it's, it's great. I'm, I'm so stoked. I can't wait to like hear more about it. So um, back to uh, questions. I have another one here. Um, what food slash nutrition is a must for you at Tahoe? Ooh, good question. Um, that's, I mean, another thing that's a work in progress right now, every weekend I'm trying to, on these long runs, try a different food item. Um, some things have worked, some things have not. And it's kind of, I mean, that's what it is though. Like, you know, trial and error, seeing what works and what doesn't. Um, man, I mean, what things are non-negotiables? I mean, I know, you know, you can't go wrong with pierogies. I'm sure that they're going to have them at at the aid stations. <laughs> um, but in terms of things that I'll bring, um, I'll probably have some spring gels in my bag just because I know they work, they're reliable. Um, I'll bring scratch for uh, electrolytes. They work, that's reliable. Probably some tailwind. I know that works as reliable. Just things that like maybe they won't have at the aid station um, that I'll have you know, with my crew or in drop bags that I can access. Um, so yeah, I'd say those are probably like the, the, the personal nutrition, hydration things I'm going to bring. But otherwise, um, everything I'm reading and hearing is that it's like all you can eat buffet at these aid stations. So <laughs> I won't be as long as your stuff. stomach tolerates it, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. So I have another question. Um, this comes from I think this might be Mama Beck. Correct me if I'm wrong. Rebecca okay. Constant, is that yep. her? Yep. Okay, awesome. So she says, and you got to give us a little bit of context on this. Okay. When you finally curse at Tahoe. <laughs> Mama Beck. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, uh, I don't use profanity, at least not often. And she was really hoping, she was really hoping that I was going to swear during the hundred in September. And I almost did when she kept shining her headlamp in my face in the middle of the night. Cause she would, she would turn to face me and then the, the headlamp would go right in my eyes. She kept doing it over and over again. Um, so, I mean, I, I would probably say yes. I mean, I can't imagine everything that's going to happen over a hundred hours. So mom yeah. will probably get her wish of that happening. I would say. <laughs> I think that's that's such a great story because like um so we know each other through running right and um I don't really have a fear of heights I have a fear of not knowing what's on the other side of a ledge and I know that recently I was doing uh the course you created the seven summits and um <laughs> I remember calling you as I was scaling literally up yeah. uh Poplin, I, I don't know what it's called, Poplin Torn or something yeah. like that. So yeah. this is like, I, I swear, it has to be like an 80 degree angle, like it's, climb. It's and I remember I'm like texting you, like, I don't know if I'm where I should be. And I send you a picture of what's down and all you see is my sneaker 
and a drop. Right. And then I send you a picture up and all you see is an overhang. <laughs> and like, it's just, you know, th- this, this really goes to who you are as a person. You actually, and I had no idea you were in church <laughs> and you stopped <laughs> to like help me navigate this. I was like, Oh, I think I'm uh, kind of in trouble here. <laughs> and I mean, you took me to the GPS and everything. It was awesome. So I, I love that cursing question. And, you know, it just really goes to who you are as a person. So that's awesome. <laughs> All right. Um, I think I have another question. Let's see. Okay. So this one comes from, I think, another one of your SAS squad crew, uh, Michelle Rice. Yes, dream team, Michelle. Yay. All right. What are you running away from? (laughs) (laughs) Give us some context. (laughs) It's so funny. Uh, Saturday, yesterday, some guy on the trail up in the Hudson Valley said the same thing. I was running past him with a couple of friends and he shouted, what are you running away from? Awesome. <laughs> it's so classic. Um, I don't think I'm running away from anything. I, I, I feel like I'm running. It's so cliche. I'm running towards big goals. You know, how cheesy is that? <laughs> uh, but no, I, I mean, I don't, I, I definitely, um, I mean, running for sure is a stress reliever for me. I think mental health wise. Uh, maybe you can put, maybe you can put that, you know, I'll give you some, here you go, Michelle, I'll give you some, uh, family health, like we have a lot of family health issues, right? So that's Mm -hmm. definitely a driving force with my running ultra running is just trying to stay healthy and kind of beat the genetics, uh, in my family. Um, so you could say that I think technically running, running away from that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe taking it to the extreme a little bit. I'm, I'm, I have the self-awareness to know that. Um, but yeah, I, w- I would say, I know it, it's cheesy, but definitely I, I feel very driven. And, and I think, you know, having some big goals, you're, you're in the same, we've got the same line of kind of that drive is like, you know, you set these big goals and they're a little bit scary. Um, yeah. But it's so fun. And I think both of us really, really love the process and the journey and, you know, training. So that's, that's super fun. You know, I love that. I love that. We scratched below the surface. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good question, Michelle. <laughs> um, all right. So I think this is a perfect segue uh, to really talk about who you are. So like, I remember when I was telling you, okay, I'm going to do this big intro, but let's, let's just back up here. You're young. You just hit your 30s a year or two ago, three years ago. You're a businesswoman. You're an athlete. You're a coach. You not just are a businesswoman, but multi-businesses. So you have your squatch shop. You have your race directing. You have an all-star crew of, um, I think you call them the dream team, all women, um, this is a lot of bang for your buck for any individual. So a lot of people are like, who is Kim? You know, um, and I think the short time I've known you and through our little run ventures, and I think anyone who runs distances with someone, you you can get below the surface and, and say, ah, this, this person's kind of full of it. Or, oh, this is the real deal. So I, I'll definitely attest to you're the real deal. So here's some questions. Um, 
How did you build the SAS squad community? This question comes from, I'm going to give you their, I guess, URL, L.I. Debuzi, Lee Debuzi. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, tell me a little bit about this community, because I haven't seen it in this state before. I mean, there's small run groups, but you've managed to tackle North Jersey, South Jersey. And yes, there does. There is a Central Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about that. Oh, that's such a good question. Um, again, I mean, it's going to sound so cheesy and cliche, but it's true. And I say it all the time, I love the saying teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> I know it's so <laughs> cheesy, but, um, it, it really is like, I'm, I'm surrounded by, first of all, I have the most supportive family and I made a note to myself mm -hmm. to make sure I said that on, on camera. Aww. I know my family watching, uh, my family has supported me from day one with, and they, they really, they, especially my sister really pushed me to chase some of these dreams. Um, she gave me a kind of a kick in the butt to do it. So I would say, you know, for sure, having a really solid support system has been awesome because I think, you know, if you're trying to tackle big things and you don't have that support system surrounding you, it's just even more so of a challenge. Um, and then being surrounded by some of the best best friends. I mean, I've, I've met some of the best people through the trail and ultra community and so many of them have become some of my closest friends. And, um, you know, three of them in particular, we call them the dream team, right? Michelle, Jana and Becca, I know they're watching. Um, my goodness, none of this would happen without their support. I mean, it, it's, I, I don't want people, I don't want people to have the perception of, oh, it's Kim Levinsky building this thing all by yourself it's not because also behind every race I mean you go to any race and you'll see this is it's there's so many volunteers and races don't happen without volunteers um so I think I mean the volunteer thing is like one of my favorite parts of the Sasquad community we have so many volunteers like the race, the race that we had the onesie race in February when at that time it was limited to we could only have wave starts of 25 um, but there was kind of a workaround where you weren't limited in the volunteers that you had, like that didn't count towards your 25 person quota. So at one point we had like 19 volunteers at the race and there were 25 runners in the wave. It was almost like a one-to-one -one ratio <laughs> of volunteers <laughs> to runners. Um, but that's been so cool how that kind of, you know, that community is also developed, but for sure. I mean, like you can't have a community without people and you know, we've just, I think Sasquatch is just, um, it's just attracted some of the most, I mean, just the best people. I, I, I know it's, it probably comes off as cheesy again, but the community is, you know, the people that make it, make it up. And I've just found, you know, they're so supportive. I love saying, so I'll share this story. My grand, my grandmother, right. She's 84 years old, 80, 85, 84. Mm. She's been coming to some of the races and every race she comes to, the first thing she says is, everyone is so nice at your races. Everyone <laughs> is just cheering for each other and they are clapping and they're talking to each other. And she always says, she's like, they're just the nicest group of people. You'll never find nicer people. And I have to agree with my grandmother's assessment. Like we really have just such an amazing community of people that 
come out to the races, this online community that we've built in the group is, I just love it because I feel like new runners and hikers can ask questions and not get a sarcastic, stupid comment from a random person on the internet. Um, and that was, you know, that's really important to me is to have that space online where people can feel welcome. Cause a lot of times that's how people first get plugged in is through social media is connecting with people online. And then they're going to venture out to an in-person event. Um, so I guess, yeah, that's how I would answer the question is just, I think the support system and the people that are in the community is what really makes it so great. Yeah. And I think it's so, um, it's wild how we had this whole shutdown um, in 2020 and like you kept it alive. Um, what is, so this is, let's add some cheese onto everything. Here's All my right. cheesy pop question. What, okay, so I know I asked you this beforehand, but what do people who follow Sasquad, what are those people called? What would they call themselves? I know. So I've heard the term Sasquatters, which I like. I like that term. I like that. You're, you know, Sasquatters are, um, like when I see people out on the trail, I'll say, oh, it's a Sasquatter, like, or you'll just shout, you'll shout like Sasquad. Um, oh, so cool. I, if anyone listening has other suggestions, feel free to share. Uh, but so far, that's the one I've heard probably most often is Sasquatter. <laughs> nice. So I have another question. Um, what makes Sasquatch trail runners so special? Can you put it into words? And this came from Sean Kane. Shout out, Sean. Oh, Sean, that is such a great question. What makes Sas Sasquatch trail runners so special? Um, again, I think it's just the people that are in the community are quality stand-up people that like just genuinely first of all love running hiking but also I think just love supporting each other and you can really see that at the races you know I love I love hearing stories at the end of races and the fish, finish line where I, I'm talking to a runner or hiker it's their first ever trail race and they'll say like oh I was I was running by myself and then um, this woman was running next to me. We ended up running for like several miles and she was telling me all about this, this, and that. And that makes me so happy. I just love that it, it's now a space where people can connect with each other. And then, you know, then you, then you hear stories or see online like, oh, well now those two are running together on an adventure somewhere else, you know? Um, yeah. so I think that, that's just, I think that's really cool. Um, you know, and, and I think like it's a place where I think the events are, it's a good opportunity for new runners to come out. We have, we always have brand new runners or it's like their first trail race. And, um, you know, I, I know I've shared with the girls, the dream team, that was one of the most important things to me is that like, we really make everyone feel welcome and that when they come to the race, they're greeted with this, like, squad of volunteers that's just saying mm. you know we're so glad you're here here's all your stuff what questions do you have um 
everything like that. So yeah, that's, that's how I would answer that, Sean. I hope that answers your question. Yeah. And I'll just tag on to that. I mean, that's, that's great. Like that's not just the inclusivity of it, but it's almost like a safe space, right? Cause like life can be hard or challenging and just knowing that there's something that you can participate in, you can forget about everything else, participate, but know that you're welcomed with open arms. And I just think it's so great that you and your team have created that. So a little bit more cheese here. This one comes from Michael Steiner. Oh, Steiner. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this question is, your positivity is inspiring and contagious and out of this world's unmatchable upbeatness. What sort of training have you helped people through? For what sort of events, personal goals, distances, some big, cra- uh, some big ones or crazy ones. So that's, that's one question okay, with okay. the intro. Um, what, all right. So you must know him really well. What planet are you from and <laughs> who sent you? And then this, I really appreciate. What is your personal pain cave full of buttons and bunnies and kittens? If not, who or what? And he goes, thank you for helping me realize I'm a trail runner. Oh, those, those questions are so classic Michael Steiner. I I think he's on, he's on here watching. Uh, Yeah. He just commented, we are just the squad in in the question that you had about what we're called. Um, (laughs) Yes. Wow. There's a lot to dig in there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It is. (laughs) Oh, right there, right there. right in the heart (laughs) oh man michael steiner um i am from planet earth i will say that i'm not some sort of alien or ufo he's asked me that question before i guess my my first answer wasn't adequate enough (laughs) (laughs) so yes i am from planet earth i am an earthling um (laughs) pain cave full of what was it bunnies and and bunnies or kittens kittens. or who or what (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. You know, I was just talking about this with um, some of the girls on the Tahoe crew about, you know, because they were asking, like, we need to talk about what happens when you get to that point And like, what do you need from us? And I said to them, like, I don't think I, I haven't, I don't think I've gotten to that point yet to know uh, what exactly that's going to look like. Um, so Michael, I'll have to let you know what's in that cave uh, when I get there. I don't know. I mean, it'd be nice if there's kittens there, right? (laughs) Um, Your kitty cat. Yeah, my kitty cat. She was there. Uh, Yes, Janice is unicorns. It'd be lovely if there were unicorns at the uh, pain cave. um, Yeah, that's what I got for you, Michael Steiner. What are your favorite kind of trails? Is it all about the vert? Is it about the technical? Do you like rocks and boulders? Do you like that smooth stuff like you saw out west? What's like your thing? I I think I would say views, like the biggest, like just having great sweeping views at the top of climbs. Um, like I love looking at the New York, New Jersey trail conference maps and they have little icons that are stars 
on the maps and that indicates that there's a good view. So like when I'm making a route, all I do is like, I'll go to the map of where I wanna run and then look for those stars and that's how I plan the route. So, I mean, if I had to choose between running flat trails and, and doing something that there's more hiking involved, I would definitely choose the hiking because you're gonna have, for the most part, better views for that. Um, I do really, I, I enjoy the technical stuff. Like I, I like the, um, like we we did that, the, uh, the Highlands adventure a few months ago, right? That was like, <laughs> I mean, you can't get any more technical than that. And then we did our uh, Wanaku Traverse. Oh my goodness. Like, I don't think there was any spot that didn't have rocks and boulders. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would say I, I enjoy vert. I like the climbing because there's oftentimes really great views and you're rewarded with that, you know, at the end of the climbs. That's awesome. Well, I've actually gone through all the questions from that we received beforehand. Yes. And I know that there were uh, some questions that were dropped into the chat. So I thought maybe now's a good time to tap into those. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Let me, um, I'll scroll back up to make sure we don't miss any. We hit a couple of them along the way. Um, so let's see. We'll go back up here. Okay, so there's a question from Sue Meyer wants to know, how heavy was your pack when you started? Um, it was heavy. It was, I, I didn't weigh it, but I remember thinking like, this is heavy. <laughs> um, if I had to guess, it was, I don't know. I don't even think I'll take a guess. Maybe seven, eight pounds. I'm not sure. Um, it was definitely heavy. It was a lot lighter by the time that I finished. So I'll say that. Um, okay, let's see. Sita wants to know, was the water, was the water from the sources directly drinkable or did you have to filter? Um, all the water that's coming out from the spigots at the different um, stops along the way, that's totally drinkable. You can just fill up your, your pack or water bottle with them. Um, and then if you were going to take from the Colorado River, I've heard people drink from it and it's okay. Um, if I didn't have to, but if I did, I would have used my filter bottle for that. Um, let's see, Kim Fong, why are you scared of bridges? I don't know. I mean, you're up in the air. <laughs> I don't know. It's funny because I'm not, I don't feel scared when I'm on a mountain. You know what? I think it is with the bridges is if I can see down, which you could at the Grand Canyon, like those were those metal crates that you can look down and see the river underneath that kind of freaked me out. Um, all right, let's, let's keep flying here. Uh, Sean Kane, do you prefer Avenza or Guthook, the app? You know, I've never used Guthook. Uh, Kaylin, I think you have, right? I did. I, I swear by it for the Appalachian Trail. I think that um, it can be built upon. Okay. For sure. And, and a lot of it is like uh, user feedback. Um, I actually haven't used the Venza, so oh, okay. I don't know that I could really compare. <laughs> yeah, I would say Avenza, I really love, especially for our area, the trail conference. Um, I'm a broken record with them. They put out the best maps. You will not, they're the most accurate mile markers down to the 10th of a mile. Uh, so that's why I love Avenza. Um, especially compared to like all trails. All trails is great. I like getting root ideas from there, but if I'm out by myself, I'm going to trust Avenza over all trails. 
Um, okay, next one. This is from Narissa. Most valuable advice or tip you can give if someone mentioned to you they were going to do rim to rim to rim and they didn't watch this? Um, that's a great question. Most valuable tip. I would say probably just bring more food than you think you need. It's better to have more than, I mean, I, and, and I didn't get to a point where I was like starving and, you know, wanted to eat a rock or anything. Um, but I would say bring more than you think and bring a variety of food, like salty, sweet, savory, you know, so you just have options when you're feeling really hungry. I would say that. Um, okay, Tim Pfluger wants to know, for the video, did you use the newer GoPro and just the regular GoPro handheld grip? The video was great. Yes, I used, it was a, it's the GoPro Hero 9 and it's a handheld, um, I think it's just called like a hand mount and it screws on there and it worked uh, really well. Um, let's see, what else, what else, what else? We're flying here. Okay, again from Tim, did you know pretty soon into it that it was going to be a little bit longer than you thought? Uh, what time did you get up to the North Rim and when did you pass back through Phantom Ranch? I think I was in denial the whole time because I'm a, just a dying optimist. <laughs> like probably to a fault, I'm always going to say the glass is half full. Um, I think in the back of my mind, deep down, I knew I wasn't going to hit the shuttle after I got to the North Rim, just doing like a little bit of quick ultra running math. Um, but I was still optimistic, like even to the point where I like crossed over or got to Phantom Ranch. I was like, ah, oh, there's still a chance. And then as I was climbing, I was like, oh, there's no chance. Like I'm not going to hit the shuttle. <laughs> uh, but it was helpful to me to just to not think that far ahead, like to not think about the fact that, oh, I'm going to have to tack on some extra miles. To me, it was kind of like I, I tried to look at it as chunks of the trips. So like the first phase was getting down Bright Angel. Then it was going across the box. Then it was going up North Rim, then coming down across, kind of breaking it up uh, like that. Um, let's see, what else? What else? What else? Um, let's see, any more questions? Uh, this one's from Jess. Living in the Northeast, we are at sea level and not at altitude. Given that Tahoe is at altitude, what is your plan to acclimate to the altitude for the race? That's a really another good, that's another really good question. I was just chatting about that um, with a friend of mine last night about altitude. Um, yeah, you know, we obviously don't live at altitude here in New Jersey. Um, you know, our elevation tops out at max like <laughs> 2000 feet or something. Um, so it's hard. I mean, there's a lot of like mixed things online too that you read, like you listen to podcasts, listen to books, um, audio books and whatnot. Um, I think there's kind of like two lines of thought where you can go out there several weeks early and stay and acclimate that way, which is not feasible or realistic for me. Um, I mean, that would be pretty for cool. For most of us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that'd be pretty sweet to like hang out at, at, at uh, Tahoe for a few weeks. Um, or you can get out there right before the race and start. So I think it's just going to be one of those things like it is what it is um, and you know, and also it's going to be something I find out, you know, I think in the moment in, in, well, in August, I think this, uh, this will count to that in, in August, I'm going out to Washington to volunteer 
at the Bigfoot 200 um, and then to crew my friend Matt Klein. Um, by if you volunteer for five days, you get a race credit. So that's how I'm going to Tahoe 200 is through the volunteering. Um, so that's going to be, I think, kind of a nice training experience for me as well to find out because Bigfoot is at altitude as well. Um, so to kind of just experiencing that, see what, how does my body react to it? Um, but Hey, if you've got advice, you can lay it, you can lay it right here. Um, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, let's see any other questions. John Beck says, hey, not a question. I just want to say Kaylin did a great job tonight. I'll do a shout out uptown. <laughs> That's uh, my buddy. I love it. I think those, Kaylin, those are all the questions that we have in the awesome. live chat. Awesome. Thanks so much for letting me be a part of this. Um, I do, I mean... I actually haven't run any of your races, shockingly. However, I have to say, yeah, no, the I have volunteered, though. Uh, the one down in Burlington, yeah. yeah. I have to tell you, though, seriously, the one at Bear Mountain, that, like, I'm surprised it's not sold out already. Yeah. Um, that's a monster right there. I'm looking forward to digging yeah. into that. That's going to be, um, that's going to be a lot of fun. I do have to apologize. Joe Brandine said that I missed a question about ice cream. And I think that I just can't scroll up as, as that far. Um, I don't know what you're asking if it was my favorite flavor, maybe. Um, <laughs> I like mint chocolate chip. That's the question you're going to ask. Um, Pralines and cream. If anybody cares. <laughs> Hey, it's important, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yes, this has been so good. I'm I am so I'm so glad that you agreed to come on. I had to I had to twist your arm a little bit to get you to do a this. Bit. A bit. <laughs> That's okay because um when we're up in the Adirondacks, I might <laughs> I might have to re <laughs> repay you like, wait, what's over that ledge? <laughs> Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, yeah. So cool stuff, though. Looking forward to seeing you and everyone else out there on the trails. It's going to be a great time. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you again, Kaylin. I really appreciate it. You, you did totally. a great job with the interview. Thank you to everybody watching and tuning in. This was so much fun. I guess it's 930. We went pretty long, um, but that hour and a half went by really, really fast. Um, so if you're watching this, um either live or if you missed it you can watch it on the replay it'll be on our facebook page forever and then the audio version will be uploaded to our podcast in the next week or two you can find that anywhere podcasts are streaming it's called sat squad trail runners for the podcast again if you want to learn more about who we are you can find us on our website it's sasquatchtrailrunning.com and then social media we're super active you can do facebook sasquatch trail running or instagram which is sasquad trail runners okay so until we see you again everybody keep it squatchy